Grace and peace with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible handy, I invite you to open to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. And that is where you will find our sermon text for today. It goes without saying that this has been a deeply emotional week filled with hateful animosity, senseless violence, and unnecessary bloodshed. Some of us probably came here today feeling emotionally frayed and restless. Others probably feel righteous anger towards the injustices that we have experienced this week. Many are probably feeling confused, perhaps even wondering where was God and what was he doing in the world this past week. All of us have probably raised our voices to God in lament and prayer on several occasions this week. For my part, on Thursday, my question was, who's next? On Friday, my question was, which God will answer? On Saturday, my question was, to whom shall we go? And as I woke this morning, the answer was clear. Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God, He has the words of eternal life. God has heard our cries, but we need to hear His counsel. We have opened our mouths to speak to Him, but now we must open our ears to listen to Him. And as always, Christ crucified is the good news for people who have experienced bad news. Our sermon text for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 32 to 52. You can find it in your Bible or it is printed in your worship order if you would like to follow along. If you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand and listen to God's holy word with an open heart. The word of God says... The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so there was division among the people over him. 
Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priest and the Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. That is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, You may be seated. Now, for the sake of those of you who are joining us for the first time, and to be honest, for the sake of those who were here last week and might have forgotten, I want to reset the stage. As we reminded last week, even the best and the most religious of cities can become dangerous places jolted by hatred, violence, and bloodshed. And the city of Jerusalem was no exception. The story is taking place in Jerusalem at the temple during the Festival of Tabernacles. And that means it is taking place in a holy city, in a holy place, during a holy celebration. It was a very special time for the Jewish people in Jesus' day, and yet trouble is brewing. People are angry with Jesus and looking for a way to arrest and kill him. And the reason they want to do this is because they did not like his doctrine or his ministry. His words and his works left them feeling shaken and stirred. In this story, Jesus goes up to the temple for the festival of tabernacles. But the people turn on him and do not trust him. To put it another way, God in the flesh has come and he has pitched his tent among his people and they are throwing a fit about it. God is drawing near to His people, and yet they are drawing back and away from Him. He comes full of grace and truth to give them life, but they want to give Him death according to their law. So the situation at the temple is escalating day by day. The tension between Jesus and some of the Jewish people was becoming palpable. Day after day, it's moving closer and closer to a breaking point. And sadly, we see that what's happening here is happening during a religious feast, a feast that was literally intended to allow the people of God to celebrate liberty and justice for all. But here they are at the Feast of Tabernacles, this annual celebration that lasts eight days. And during this eight day period, they are supposed to be rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. This is a festival that is marked out by its joyous festivities, the dwelling in tents or booths, and then the particular peculiar sacrifices that are offered during the week. So to understand what's going on in context, try to imagine a week-long party with lots of rejoicing and dancing and feasting and drinking, all in the context of daily worship. Imagine a city filled with tents in the streets and in the yards and in the parks. 
For one week every year, the people would gather and build these temporary structures and live in them so they could remember their forefathers in the wilderness, so that they could identify with their kinsmen and say that story is our story. We are still living in tents. We are still pilgrims in the world. We are still making our way through this wasteland. During that week, special sacrifices were offered up to the Lord. And it is said that there were more sacrifices offered that week than at any other time. No one was able to come up to Jerusalem empty-handed. Everyone had to bring a gift for offering. It was a time of rejoicing to commemorate not only the exodus but also to commemorate the sojourning in the wilderness. And the people had a chance to say, we are strangers and aliens in this world. The festival was also to remind the people that they were actually on mission for the life of the world. The festival of tabernacles was supposed to help the Jewish people look forward to the final joyful harvest when God would, breath, would gather together and bring to them the nations. When Israel's mission on earth was completed, God would gather all the nations of the world to them, as the prophets had said. And so to that end, many bulls were sacrificed on behalf of the nations. And many prayers were offered up for the Gentiles. This was a missional celebration. Now keep in mind that all of that is happening when Jesus goes up to the temple. And it's in the midst of all of that religious celebration of life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice, and the mission of God in the world, that some people in that crowd wanted to arrest and kill Jesus. And the reason is because they were confused about Him. Some people thought He was a troublemaker. Some thought that he was the prophet. Some people thought he was the devil. Others even thought he was the Christ. Day after day, in the midst of all of this conflict, Jesus keeps going back to the temple. Day after day, he keeps going up to the temple. And on the last and greatest day of the feast, that's the day Jesus decided to stand up and to cry out, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, let me tell you why that statement is so significant, especially a statement given at that time and place. On the last and great day of that festival, a priest would go out from the temple courts and go to a nearby pool called Siloam. And he would draw water from that pool. And he would make his way back to the temple. He would go through the water gate. Trumpets would sound. The people would cheer. And he would carry this water up to the temple. And pour the water into a silver bowl. And then the water from the bowl would be poured out on the offering. On the sacrifice that was on the altar. Trumpets would blast again. Crowds would go wild. And everyone would begin singing Psalm 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, 118. These are the Halal Psalms. And some of the Psalms say this to give you a taste of it. 
Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into springs of water. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That's what the people were singing on that day. Another reason Jesus' statement is so significant is because on that last and great day, prayers were offered up asking God to send life-giving water from heaven upon earth for the life of the world. And the third reason this is so significant is because on the seventh day, when the water is being poured out, the priest would circle the altar and walk around it seven times. Plainly recalling how the walls of Jericho had fallen under similar circumstances. They march around the altar seven times, anticipating and praying that the walls of the Gentile nations would fall before the Lord and then the land would lie open to them and they could go out and take possession of it. This was not political. It was missional. It was for the life of the world. God, tear down the walls and open the nations that your light may shine among them. That your spirit may go forth to save them. That your water, your life-giving streams may flood the world. All of this is happening on the last and great day of the feast when Jesus stands up and says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Jesus' proclamation was significant because on that last and great day of the festival of tabernacles, we see clearly God in the flesh coming and claiming to be the rock from whom streams of living water flow into the desert. He claims to be the thirst quenching source of living water for anyone who is thirsty enough to come to him and drink. He claims to be the one who will baptize the world with the Holy Spirit. So in Jesus, God is pitching a tent among us. And the rock of salvation is drawing near and offering to give the Holy Spirit to anyone who is dying of thirst. Whether Jew or Greek, black or white, Hispanic or Caucasian. And the prayers of God's people were clearly answered in the person of Jesus Christ. It's as if God were saying, Behold, here is the spring of the water of life that you have prayed for. Come and drink freely. The proclamation of grace and truth was not just for the Jews at the temple. It was also for us. It was for you and for me. When Jesus said, come and drink, and out of your heart will flow streams of living water, he was talking about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive after he was glorified through his crucifixion 
resurrection, and ascension. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven upon him like a dove. And the prophet said at that time, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And from there, we see Jesus is the one who told Nicodemus, you must be born of water and the Spirit which means God will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your unclean things and from all your idols He will cleanse you and He will give you a new heart and a new spirit He will put within you. Jesus is the one who speaks the words of God for He gives the Spirit without measure, without limit. Jesus is the one who told the Samaritan woman, Everyone who drinks of this earthly water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the heavenly water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The heavenly water that I will give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the one who told a lame man who could not get into the healing waters at the house of mercy to get up and walk. Jesus is the one who walked on a stormy sea to save his friends from the storm. So throughout John's gospel, Jesus appears as the giver of the water of life, which is the Holy Spirit. And so now at the Feast of Tabernacles, at the temple in Jerusalem, we see Jesus as the one who is offering himself to all who thirst for relief, for rescue, renewal, and refreshment. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Jesus and drink. Whoever believes in Jesus, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, if you're the kind of person who likes to research, you might search the Old Testament, say, where did the Scripture say that? And you won't find that exact phrase. But here's what you will find. You will find the prophet say, on that day, living waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, to people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. Fear not, O Israel, my servant, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your children and my blessing on your descendants. So the bottom line is this. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, Jesus is the one who promises to give the Holy Spirit to anyone and everyone who is thirsty enough to turn away from themselves and to trust in Him as Savior, Lord, and Christ. And that includes you. The question is, are you thirsty? Now, up to this point, I've led you to living water, but I can't make you drink. I can point you to the source of the water of life, but I can't make you come. But if you're thirsty, you must come and you must drink 
or else you will die under the curse of your own sins. We don't want to see happen to you what happened to one young man who was hiking in the South Utah desert. We don't want to see happen to you spiritually what happened to him physically. CBS News reports that a few years ago, a young man by the name of Dave Buscow and 11 other hikers were led by expert guides from a company called Boss on a wilderness survival adventure. It was designed to test their physical and mental toughness. According to the Boss website, the purpose of the trek was to push people past those false limits the mind has set for the body. And the goal of the trek was to help people discover their real destination. And here's the quote. Somewhere along the many miles of sagebrush flats, red rock canyons, and mesa tops of southern Utah, somewhere between the thirst, the hunger, and the sweat, you'll discover the real destination. Yourself. According to Boss, you are your real destination. All the hikers on this venture paid $3,100 for the course. On the second day of the trek, after a cool night, the group set out around sunrise and they stopped at 8.30 to dip their cups in a creek in what turned out to be the only water they would find until evening. Dave Buscow pulled out a bottle from his pack to fill up in the creek, but he was warned by the staff not to fill it. During the early phase of the expedition, participants are only allowed to drink water at the source. They're not able to carry any water with them through the wilderness. The reason? The guides want everyone to dig deep and to push themselves beyond their known limits until they can make it to the next source of water on their own. That day, they only hiked five or six miles under a cloudless sky and the blazing sun engulfed by oppressive heat. One of the hikers wrote, we were all desperate for water. And every time, every time Dave would fail or lie down, it took a huge amount of effort to pick him back up. His speech was thick. His mouth was swollen. Every time he continued, he would rush ahead, often in the wrong direction, so exhausting himself even more. During one break, he mistook a tree for a person and said, there she is. By the end of the second day, Dave Buscow was in extremely bad shape. His companions were carrying his possessions for him. He was pale, he was racked by cramps, and his speech was slurred. He was desperate for water and hallucinating. After going several hours without a drink in the 100 degree heat, he collapsed face down in the dirt, unable to reach the goal, which was a shaded cave with a pool of cool, a pool of cool, fresh water. His companions made it to the cave, but Dave could not go on. He asked a guide to get water for him, but the guide refused. In a statement to the police, the guide said, I felt that he could make this short distance, and I told him he could do it. I wanted him to accomplish getting to the water and the cave for rest on his own. 
And so as the sun set in the west on the second day of their trek, Dave Bruschow died of thirst 300 feet away from water within earshot of his companions celebrating their arrival at the pool of water and the cave. He was 29 years old. I know you think that could never happen to you because you would never go on a trek in the desert of South Utah. But I want to suggest that this could happen to any one of us. Do not presume on God's grace. Do not take advantage of His kindness. Do not ignore His call to you, His crying out to you to come and drink. I've known many thirsty people in my life. People who are so thirsty for adventure and comfort and pleasure, companionship, relief, that they will do just about anything to slake their thirst. Everything that is except the one thing that pastors plead with them to do. And the problem is that most of us seem to be so easily satisfied with the momentary and temporary things that give us relief. Not lasting relief, but relief that doesn't last. And it looks like this in our lives. Shopping for a new dress. Looking at the next naked image. Watching the next episode. Drinking the next strong drink. Taking the next drug, reaching the next game level, achieving the next promotion, making the next risky investment, earning the next advanced degree, hiding the next affair, going on the next vacation, losing the next weight level, seeing the next YouTube video, reading the next book, downloading the next song, cashing the next check. And on and on we could go. We waste our lives on things that never satisfy us and things that always leave us thirsting for more. Like so many people in the world, we chase after the mirages in the desert and end up choking on the dust and ashes of our illusions. We chase our own self-centered desires but end up crashing and burning in the wasteland. The difference that you have, the advantage and the privilege that you have today is this, is that your expert guide does not expect you to make the trek through the wilderness on your own. Your expert guide knows that you are not able to travel not even a short distance by yourself, even if it means getting a drink of water. He does not expect you to accomplish getting water or getting rest by yourself. Your expert guide helps those who cannot help themselves. He comes to you with the Holy Spirit. He brings to you streams of living water. He gives life to those who are dying of thirst because he himself knows what it's like to die of thirst. On the last and great day of the feast, he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And in that proclamation, he is offering to become thirsty 
so that the thirsty may be satisfied with water. He comes to give the Holy Spirit to everyone who is dying of thirst. And yet you heard what happened in this story. When the people heard these words of life, they started talking and they started arguing and they started debating about politics and religion and sports. That was their response to this life-giving promise. There's no revival in Jerusalem. There was no renewal at the temple. There was no refreshment among the people. No real faithful response. After the festival, at the end of the day, they simply packed up their tents and went back to doing what they were already doing before. Drinking from their own cisterns, their own stagnant pools, and their own mud holes. Like their forefathers, they committed two evils. They cast aside the fountain of living waters and they carved out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. My fear is this. My fear is that you will do the same thing today. My fear is that you are not thirsty enough to drink from the fountain of living waters. To delight yourself in Jesus, the gospel, grace and truth, and the things of the Spirit. My fear is that we will quickly rush back into the discussions we've been having about politics, religion, and sports. About restaurants, and movies, and shows, and games, and other trivial matters. And that slowly but surely we will find ourselves turning away from Christ and being consumed by the world and its desires. My concern is that one day we're going to find ourselves lying face down in the dust a few hundred feet away from the fountain of living water. And we will die in that dust. And the ants will eat our flesh. And the sun will bake us down. And everyone around us will tell why it happened and give reasons and blame us or blame themselves. My fear is that we will die a few feet away from the source of life. You and I know that we are thirsty. But contrary to popular advertising, there is absolutely no need to stay thirsty, my friends. This is actually an occasion when you should obey your thirst. If your thirst is calling you and driving you and moving you to Christ. Thirst is a terrible thing. In the Bible, in the story of the Bible, thirst is portrayed as a sign of curses, of faith testing, of physical need, of exile, of deep spiritual longing. And all of these things come together in Jesus' thirst on the cross. At the cross, Jesus was thirsty. But He thirsted for so much more than earthly water. Echoing the Psalms, we find that His soul thirsted for God, for the living God. That He thirsted for His Father. His whole being longed for Him in a dry and weary land where there was no water. He spread out His hands to the Father and He thirsted for Him. 
like a parched land. At the cross, Jesus was thirsty, and he died of thirst just a few hundred feet away from a cave in which he would be buried. Jesus was cursed to a waterless death so that you might be blessed with the water of life. Jesus gave us water from above to deliver us from the waters from below. Jesus died thirsty so that you who thirst might drink deeply and thirst no more. Jesus poured out the water of life to save us from the dust of death. And this is His promise. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, without cost. It's free. So let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life freely without price. How can you do that? What must you do? It's as simple as this. All you have to do is ask Him for it. All you have to do is ask for it in Jesus' name. Will you join me in prayer? Oh God, You are our God. Earnestly we seek You. Our soul soul thirsts for You. Our flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We have looked upon You in the sanctuary beholding Your power and Your glory. Because Your steadfast love is better than life, our lips will praise You. So we will bless You as long as we live. In Your name we will lift up our hands. Our soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and our mouth will praise You with joyful lips. When we remember You upon our bed and meditate on You in the watches of the night, for You have been our help. And in the shadow of Your wings we will sing for joy. Our soul clings to You, Your right hand upholds us. All these things we ask and pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.